Blog Talk Radio. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to the 531st edition of the Feuerstein's Fire American Soccer Show. I'm your host, Daniel Feuerstein. I'll give you American perspective, our clubs, leagues, players, national team, and other fabulous moments. You get your daily reading from me and other writers currently at jerseysportingnews.com for the soccer end of things, it, the pro division. So it should be a fun time to have a conversation. <coughs> Excuse me about that. So anyway, how about what we saw on Sunday, excuse me, Saturday afternoon here on the East Coast? Saturday, early afternoon, just a little afternoon time out in the Pacific. Providence Park jammed packed with tons of Portland Timbers supporters and, of course, the New York City supporters for the blue side of New York. This game had a lot of tension in it. This final was something that I thought was very telling at times and very intriguing at times. Because all throughout the match... Portland, I think Portland had the majority of the ball. And while they were attacking and they were showing and they were trying to do things huge, and once again, you have to really say what was going on how this was going on, and everything going on. It was just unbelievable. Believable in what we have seen from a game that had a lot of back and forth. But New York City really didn't do much in the game, I mean, basically, they were just trying to defend more, even though when they did have the ball, yes, they were trying to go into the back of the net. And when they got their opening goal late in the first half uh, with the Castellanos tally in the 41st minute, the feeling was that New York City FC was going to lock it down and just bunker a little bit, not a lot. They're still going for a second goal, which was great to watch. But the truth is, they were going to lock it down. And then all of a sudden, all of a sudden, here comes Portland as they're trying to claw, scratch, 
fight and trying to get that equalizer, at least to get on the board. And when you watch, when you watch that goal being converted on the final moments of second half stoppage time by Felipe Mora, and how Providence Park went into a complete frenzy, a complete frenzy. You're thinking to yourself, now we're going to have some more fun and we're going into extra time. Portland on the front foot, New York City protesting because there should have been a foul in the area. And you have to be fair and say that Maxime Cheneau had a legitimate gripe. I thought it was a foul. It didn't happen, but I really thought it was a foul. But you know what? You've got to give the referee credit here. You've got to give the referee credit for one thing and one thing only in this game. Even though there were other moments where the whistle should have been blown for a foul, and there were moments where you're expecting more cards to come out than normal, To be fair, the referee did his best not to be the focal point of this final. The referee did an excellent job to allow the game to only breathe, to allow the game to flow, to allow the game to be what it was supposed to be. You've got two teams fighting for the championship. One, the home side trying to go for their second title, first time at home. And then you have the other team, the visiting team, as they are trying to get their first title ever. And you know what? Extra time did not disappoint. No goals, sadly. But going into extra time, you saw a damn good battle between both sides, and it went to penalties. And to see Sean Johnson, who has, in my book, before even Andre Blake came into the league, before he even started becoming the best goalkeeper in the Confederation of CONCACAF, because the truth is, Andre Blake is the best goalkeeper in this Confederation of CONCACAF. But back in the day, when Sean Johnson came out of nowhere and played goal for a struggling Chicago Fire, when it was Dykstra that was the starting, the heir apparent starting goalkeeper for the future of the Chicago Fire, Sean Johnson just basically came out of nowhere in 2010, and became the guy. Became the guy. And has had a hell of a career in MLS. And the the veteran goalkeeper has basically been lights out during penalties. Lights out. Granted, the first penalty he saved, it was not taken well. 
But when Steve Clark made that huge save in the second round of the penalty kick shootout, Sean Johnson answered the, the bell, and he actually did a damn good job stopping that penalty. You have to say, and to be fair, I have to say it as well, Sean Johnson is the hero of this championship final game because of the first two penalties he stopped. Because while Castellanos, and I will say this very clearly, Castellanos is lucky, very, very lucky in two senses. Not only lucky that he was at the right place at the right time to convert the free kick bender by Maxi Morales for him to go and get it on frame and just barely getting it past Steve Clark to keep to keep that ball in with that header. But also, if the Union did not lose 11 players from both their substitutes bench and the starting lineup, also knocking out both goalkeepers, the starter and the and the backup and the top 2 center backs, Okay, New York City FC would not be in the position they are right that they were in right there. If Andre Blake, Glesnes, and McClinn were healthy and ready to go and did not get COVID, if none of those players on the union did not get COVID, New York City FC, in my opinion, would not be in the final at all. Because the truth of the matter is that I felt and I still say this no matter what, I still believe the Philadelphia Union would be in the MLS Cup Final and they would have traveled to Portland instead of NYCFC. Let's just be clear about this. If it's not for COVID, if it's not for COVID, the Union are in Portland, period. So Castellanos has to be thankful and lucky that his teammates who saved him to play in the championship final after the silly, stupid, two-footed, studs-up challenge, he received that second yellow red card conference semifinals at Foxborough against the New England Revolution – if he does not get that red card, he's in the Eastern Conference Final, but he got the red card, and he was uh, suspended for that. When it comes to a guy like Giovanni, you know, just to finish off the New York City thing, just to say this, Castellanos is lucky he was able to play in the final. Very, very lucky. Let me say this as well. Giovanni Savarese is still a damn good manager. I should know this. Everybody knows this. Everyone in the New York City area knows about Savarese as a player and as a coach. Many people won't like it when I say this, but yes, as the head coach of the New York Cosmos in the second coming 
of the NESL and the second coming of the New York Cosmos. Savarese has done so much inside the circles of American soccer. He deserves whatever plaudits he gets. He has earned that. For the second time in four years, Giovanni Savarese has led the Portland Timbers to the MLS Cup Championship. And even though he is 0 for 2 in that, still, he is that good, that smart, and he is still a damn good tactician of what he's trying to get from his players. He'll get his club in there. And I will also say this as well. If the New York Red Bulls decide to change things up, if the New York Red Bulls decide to continue, change things up and try to get things going, and they decide one day, not now, one day, that if they're the ones to bring over Giovanni Savarese back to the club and manage the Red Bulls and MLS, you know what? He would be revered. He would be welcomed with open arms by the supporters. That is not uh, just saying it for the hell of it. That is the truth. Because he is the first Metro legend of this club when they were the Metro stars. Savarese is that respected and loved by this fan base. The bicycle kick goal against the Tampa Bay Mutiny at Giant Stadium that made it 3-3 will is forever etched in the hearts and minds of New York Red Bulls supporters and Metro Stars fans of old. Guaranteeing you without a problem, without an inkling, Savarese would be welcomed back in a heartbeat. But once again, congratulations to New York City FC. Tough, ju- tough luck against the Portland Timbers. But that final was definitely worth its weight in gold. And just found out the fifth highest viewership of MLS Cup matches on either ABC and or ESPN just almost at one point to almost at 1.2 million viewers for that final. It is unbelievable what we have seen so far, and hopefully more will come and more positiveness will come to Major League Soccer for the 2022 edition once we get that underway. So get ready. It should be a lot of fun. Well, ladies and gentlemen, sadly, we had to have a winner, and we had to have a loser. Both sides gave it their all. Joining me right now on the Portland Timbers side of things, once again from Rose City Review, my good buddy William Conwell is joining me. And Will, before we even get to the match, what was the atmosphere like at Providence Park? You're from Portland. You know, you've been there every single home game. Every MLS fan is well aware 
of the great support that the Timbers Army and everyone in Portland, Oregon gives that club. But what was the feeling at Providence Park as this was the first ever MLS Cup final being hosted at your ground? Yeah, I mean, the it's, it's not going to be a, a surprise uh, to anyone at this point to uh, to hear about, you know, the people lined up for days ahead of time to uh, to secure a wristband to get into the, the general admission areas uh, or the fact that, you know, the, the streets around the stadium were just packed, uh, you know, in the, the hours before the game, um, you know, before people were getting let in at, you know, 9.30 for a, a 12.30 kickoff. Um, you know, the city, uh, the city was buzzing about this one, and uh, you know, there were obviously uh, some some lows and some highs in the game. Um, but yeah, the the atmosphere, whether it was before the game uh, or during, or I mean, you know, even after the game for for a big loss like that, was just amazing uh, the whole time. It was. Uh, it was everywhere, and it was overwhelming. Yeah. No, it really looked like it. I thought the the gymnasium uh, (laughs) sport club behind one of the goals in the back area, (laughs) I I, I swear I thought I saw Timber fans climbing up the wall just so they could get a better vantage point at the roof. I don't know. (laughs) But I got to tell you, Will, that that was amazing to watch and to see everyone hanging out and even the the the, the gym membership people on their bikes they probably put, they probably dragged it out of the building got on the on the balcony and started watching the game <laughs> that was absolutely fantastic um obviously hard done towards the uh, back end of the first half Castellanos hedged that ball Steve Clark got probably some fingertips on that ball when it landed on the field turf, but just couldn't get his hand all the way down on the floor to really make a solid save as it just rolled underneath his hand and into the back of the net. Yeah, I mean, that was always going to be a really uh, a really tough save to make. You know, some people have spoken ill of Steve's Clark, Steve Clark's attempt on that one. Um, but, you know, I mean, Castellanos did exactly what you're supposed to do in that situation that, you know, put it down on the deck, you know, he put a lot of power on that shot. It was a wet, cold day. Um, that was a, that was a, a tough one to save no matter who you are. Uh, so, you know, can't fault Steve Clark too much for it. Uh, you know, as, uh, uh, as much of a gut punch as it was at the time. Let me ask you this. And I mean, throughout the match, I have to say this. I thought the referee let play happen. I mean, even when probably he should have blown the whistle for a foul or two, he allowed those infractions go. He just let them go. Did you feel that was the right thing to do? I mean, to see, you know, maybe those little uh, small little fouls just being allowed to not even get called and allow the flow to continue on. Did you see that? You know, uh, so the referee in this one, Bill Real, he's uh, – um, I, I didn't really have any issues with his the way he refereed this game. You know, it's a final. It's going to be testy. Uh, you know, there's there's going to be a lot of physicality to the game. 
um, you know, both in terms of the, the way the Timbers play and, you know, the way New York plays. Um, so, you know, I, I didn't have any major uh, issues with it. Uh, you know, I also wasn't surprised by the way he repped the game, you know, relatively loosely. You know, he's, uh, he's a guy that Timbers fans uh, have experience with in, in recent games. He refereed the Minnesota playoff game um, for them. And, you know, that was uh, also a, a physical and uh, uh, difficult game to ref. And uh, some people are, are still going to hold that one against him for uh, Frangapane's two-footed tackle on Diego Chara. That was there. Definitely. Uh, still only uh, – only a yellow, according to him, and mm-hmm. apparently according to the disciplinary committee. You know, mm-hmm. not, uh, not a surprise there. Nope, nope, not a surprise at all. But I have to ask you, that roar within seconds of four minutes of added time in the second half of extra time, I mean, uh, excuse me, of stoppage time, that was probably the loudest roar I've ever heard uh, at Providence Park through my television uh, and every time I go to Twitter, I, I look at everyone else's uh, smartphone videos. I mean, that must have been the, the biggest roar for an equalizer I have ever heard. How Philippe, Felipe Mora was in perfect position to bang that ball past Sean Johnson. That, that moment was just uh, thrilling and awesome to watch. Yeah, it was it was really something. Uh, you know, Providence Park has had some loud moments over the years, and and you know this year uh, in particular. Um, but yeah, that last second tying goal to drag the Timbers into extra time was as loud as it's ever been. Uh, and you know, as much as the uh, the the videos uh, online, on the television, what have you, capture that feeling. Uh, it's nothing like being there in person and just having the crowd go absolutely wild for that moment. It was really something. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, extra time comes in, nothing much happening. I mean, there were chances by the Timbers to knock in that go-ahead goal. just could not happen. Um, and I know – Penalty kick shootouts are always a crapshoot, depending on what side, uh, who takes the penalties first and everything. Um, that probably was a little bit gut-wrenching with those first three attempts. Uh, Sean Johnson making two saves. Uh, and then, of course, one of the goals, actually the one that Steve Clark did save, the second one, See, this is my problem with some goalkeepers. I understand they're trying to guess which way that the shooter's going to go. But once you start kneeling down or crouching down, you're already giving up the top half of the net. And in my view, even if you jump too early, you're still giving away your position before uh, the shooter is at the spot. Is that how you felt when Steve Clark crouched down too early? Yeah, I mean, looking at Clark uh, versus Johnson in this one, um, you know, Sean Johnson obviously, uh, you know, made things really tough for the Timbers by essentially covering a a, a huge uh, amount of uh, of each side when he committed to that side. You know, Clark, though, uh, 
you know, it, his uh, his attempt to read the penalty uh, and uh, and hold his uh, his movement as late as possible. You know, it's it paid off on that second spot kick for uh, for NYC, but um, you know, you saw it on the uh, on the others where uh, you know he he wasn't committing to either side, uh, and so you know the the later New York. Uh, takers were able to beat him with power um and yeah you know it was uh it was disappointing to see um and uh you know i i would uh i if if i'm watching a goalie i'd rather see uh the uh the approach that sean johnson took you know going hard and committing to his side uh because as funny as it is when uh you know a, a keeper holds their ground and uh, catches a Penenka or something, um, you know, that's that's by far the exception, not the rule. Yeah, no, I agree with you there, absolutely. Um, and, of course, uh, this is the second time that the Timbers, uh, within the four years, have reached the MLS Cup final. Uh, I mean, what can you say about Gio? Gio, I mean, I've said it way too many times. I know... I know Savaday say what he's all about. I've seen him here as a player. I've seen him here as a manager. Um, obviously, I don't think his job is in jeopardy. I wouldn't assume his job is in jeopardy. But the truth is, um, what he has been able to do with the roster for the Timbers and to get them to just be as strong and dominant in the Western Conference has been incredible. What, what can you say about Gio that hasn't been said already? Well, I mean, not much. I think uh, I think the the Timbers track record in his time as coach definitely does speak for itself. Um, you know, he's uh, he has always gotten the the Timbers prepared uh, for the playoffs uh, and gotten the Timbers peaking at the right time for the playoffs. Um, you know, they haven't always made a run. Uh, obviously, um, and they've had plenty of struggles with injuries and stuff during his time with the team. Um, so you know, you uh, you kind of look at a couple of years and wonder what could have been. But you know, taking into taken in its totality, his time with the Timbers so far has uh, has really been something special. Now we're ready in the off season. Moves are being made right now. Obviously, there's a lot of players moving around. Um, the expansion draft for Charlotte FC has already, uh, be, you know, been done today. Uh, I don't know if any Timbers players have, uh, you know, been exposed and are now going to be in Charlotte, North Carolina. But uh, do you expect this entire roster to remain intact for next year, or do you expect some movement? Well, I mean, you know, there's there's definitely going to be some movement uh, among the the less high profile players uh, on the roster, um, but uh, you know, looking at the the starters from most of the season this year, uh, the uh, the main questions that remain right now is uh, you know are Sebastian Blanco, Steve Clark, uh, and Jose Carlos Van Rankin going to uh, uh, going to be able to get a deal done in order to to come back. Um, Blanco and Clark are both uh, uh, at the ends of their contracts right now, uh, and Van Rankin, uh, his uh, his loan deal is up, and the Timbers are you know negotiating to bring him back potentially. 
Um, but you know, the the uh, as far as players who were not necessarily starters for most of this year, but are you know uh, someone that's going to be an eye kept on for how uh, how their status plays out is uh, Diego Valeri. Um, Valeri uh, is still under contract with the team. Um, but, you know, he's seen his minutes go down a lot. You know, he um, is uh, his run out during the uh, the cup final uh, was probably the best he played all year. Um, you know, he, he really struggled for a lot of this season um, just in terms of uh, not, not just the, the pace of the game, but, you know, really connecting with his teammates. Um, and, you know, he's a legend in Portland, so – uh, the the possibility's been floated that he might not be with the team next year, uh, and you know that would be a real bummer um, for uh, for Timbers fans, Diego Valeri fans, uh, if that were to to be the case. But you know, the more uh, the more you look at his desire to uh, to keep on playing, um, and you know what the Timbers need to be competitive in this uh, Western Conference is. Uh, really hard to reconcile those two things mm-hmm. no it's very true and i think it's going to be even more tougher now with uh with a brand new season and uh some new players coming in and we don't know who will be transferring over but it's going to be very difficult probably for the timbers but maybe not maybe the timbers will make another run back to the cup final and we'll see what happens but will i just want to say thank you again for coming back uh love having you on and just want to wish you and your family happy holidays and uh listen I hope to have you back on next year, and uh, let's go ahead and get this thing over, uh, ready to go. All right. Sounds great. Thanks for having me. No problem. Thanks for coming on. That's William Conwell, Rose City Review on the Portland Timbers. Um, great to have him on. Great to discuss with him everything going on about the uh, Portland Timbers, and it's just uh, great to have him back and hopefully – um, you know, more will be done for the Timbers and we'll see what happens somewhere down the road and uh, we will uh, definitely um, have some more fun with this and we'll see what happens uh, next year. Joining me now uh, on the blue side of New York City, it is Mr. Michael Ander, Blue City Radio. Uh, New York City FC, MLS Cup champions, first professional or for, or the first first division New York City soccer club to win the title since the days of the New York Cosmos, the original New York Cosmos winning those soccer bowl titles in the original North American Soccer League, Michael. That is very surprising to see. Yeah, I don't know what you mean by blue side in New York. I think uh, all of New York is blue, or at least that's what was <laughs> determined over the weekend. Uh, no, thanks for having me on, Dan. No problem. No problem. Um, you know, I, I have to say this. Um, this is a team where I think you would you – even you've admitted it. When they were on that slump, there was no way of knowing this was going to happen. I mean, many, many people were already thinking – they're in a slump they're, during the regular season. They're falling out. They're falling out of a higher seed. 
there's no way that they're going to make a run. And then within the last, what, I would say four to six matches, maybe after the loss at Red Bull Arena to the Red Bulls, they all of a sudden just quickly snapped back into place and they got on a run and then they were just unstoppable from that point on. Uh, no, I mean, it's, I guess it's uh, pretty uh, clear that as Tati goes, NYCFC goes, and I know that's something that other people have said, so it's not an original idea, but it's, it, it is true. It's probably the best thing we could say. Tati went through a slump. The team went through a slump. The team went through, uh, you know, four games without scoring a goal. And uh, Tati woke up. Uh, if you listen to his interviews, he would say it coincided with the uh, arrival of, of his mom from Argentina. And uh, he was hot. I think uh, if I heard the stat correctly, he's uh, 19 goals in his last 23 games. It's a, uh, you know, it's it's quite an accomplishment, and I think that's one of those things where uh, you need that spark. NYCFC is a team, and that's what helped them uh, overcome the uh, the hurdles in the in the playoffs. But ultimately, it was uh, it was about Tati just get getting hot to help uh, drive them to to victory. Yeah, I agree with you there. When you saw that opening goal from Castellanos, and first of all, that was a great ball by Maxi Morales curling it from the near side to the far. Did you feel, and I'll admit, maybe I thought it might, there might have been a hint of offsides, but offsides, but the, the truth was he really timed the ball perfectly, Castellanos, and just headed that ball down with power to get it just past Clark to get that opening goal. Yeah, you know, with so many guys and bodies in the box, it's tough to, uh, it's really tough to delineate who was, uh, you know, whose who's arm or who's, uh, whose jersey was, was more advanced than the others. So that one I don't think was going to be overturned. You know, again, I think the decision or the, the game was decided a little bit earlier than that. Quite honestly, I think the game was decided by uh, Gio Savarese starting uh, Sebastian Blanco. Uh, listening to the press conference from the day before, you did not get – it was clear that Blanco was not fully game fit. He wasn't ready to go 90. You know, you probably estimate he's, he's somewhere between, you know, 30 to 60 minutes uh, fit. And uh, that, that I, think, I think Gio rolled the dice wrong because I, I know he probably wanted to go out there and, and get the early goal and, and try to secure the, the lead that way. But uh, getting, getting, having Blanco on the field to start – I think it 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 weakened uh, Portland defen- defensively, and once NYCFC got the goal, then then again you're you're right. It felt like it was uh, inevitable that NYCFC was going to win that game, despite the even the the late the last minute equalizer. Oh, I know. I mean, that was amazing to watch. Did you feel Villarreal? Because um, I felt like he was officiating this match like he did not want to be the focal point of anything, and. Even though you're seeing not a lot of hard fouls, I'm thinking you're seeing a lot of, you know, maybe more positional bumping around fouls that are normally there that would normally get called. Excuse me. To me, Villarreal did not want to be the focal point at all, and he's just letting them play. Is that what you saw? Yeah, I would agree. I I think that the thing that concerned me the most was that it just felt like he didn't want to – he didn't want himself to be the story, but I think he also struggled in making the tough call against uh, against Portland. And I think that mm. kind of set the tone. That first foul, uh, I think it was by uh, Fochive, uh on, on Tati, 
as, as he was trying to break away. Most people would say that that would be a yellow card. Uh, you know, you got a, 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 an attacker running through midfield. Uh, it, it, yes, yes, it'd be one on three, but it was definitely a breakaway situation where you don't know if he if he beats the first man, does he have enough support to where he can get a, a you know a numbers advantage? And he was taken down. It was a it was a late foul, and it, you know I think even Twelman said from the beginning it might have been a, it probably should have been a yellow card. Uh, and I think that was one of those things where uh, once he made that decision, once Villarreal made that decision, it really handcuffed him. And he, I'll give him credit, he was consistent, but it felt like it, was, it really came from a position of it was a, it was a hostile crowd. I mean, not hostile in a, in a negative way, but it, it was an energetic crowd, and he just didn't want to make, a, make the call that was going to uh, turn the crowd against him. Yeah, I agree with you there. I mean, <laughs> that was a hell of a crowd there in Providence Park uh, with all those Portland Timber supporters. Not to shy away from the New York City fans, but, you know, everyone did their part uh, in that uh, championship final. And obviously, I've admitted this. I thought Chanel was fouled uh, just before the uh, equalizer was uh, scored within the last mo- dying moments of second half stoppage time in regulation. Um, did not get it. Chinook, I, I don't blame him for being mad and angry that he thought he should have been, you know, gotten the foul call for what happened to him. But, um, you know, the equalizer stood and uh, they went straight in extra time. Yeah, I mean, on, on that call, I think it uh, is one of those things where it, Villarreal had to call it live uh, because it wasn't going to be overturned. I think that was the thing. I think... That's the one thing that we are hearing is people are saying, well, why didn't Penso, you know, re- make him review it? And it was just not a not a situation where it, there was enough evidence to say that it should have been overturned. But I, I think if Villarreal, again, that's where it kind of goes to my earlier comment. If he had the yeah. the confidence to make the difficult call, he might have called that uh, one way or the other, uh, you know, in 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 real time. But you got to you got to admit it it made for some great drama, and maybe it's easier for for me to say that now because of the way the result turned out, but uh, mm-hmm. the, the, it definitely added to the, uh, to the suspense and the drama. But again, I think uh, the, the, this consensus among the NYCFC supporters was that the victory in, in New England was really the, the, the victory that set the tone for their playoffs. They had such, they had had such bad luck in playoffs uh, and such poor results that that was the one that once they got over that hurdle they really didn't see much stopping them no i agree with you right there and you know let's go straight to the penalty kick shootout um sean johnson is a veteran of this league you know he just came out of nowhere back in 2010 when the chicago fire were having difficulties with goalkeepers and then he just basically locked down that position for so many years and then when new york city came into the fold about what six seven years ago Back in 2015, um, he just basically, you know, comes over in the expansion draft, or I think it was a free agent at the time, so he just went over on a free transfer and has really locked down the goalkeeping position for New York City FC. How much of a revelation has he been since coming over to the Bronx for this club? You know, it's it's interesting because he's been great, He's definitely been their best goalkeeper, obviously, uh, from out of the history, out of their short history. The the thing is, this season he hasn't been consistent. 
this was the one season where he wasn't that wall, where he had a he had some flaws. And look, I think every NYCFC fan remembers that that horrible uh, own goal in Minnesota from uh, from two years ago. Uh, but again, that was a that was a game that NYCFC ended up uh, you know squeezing a draw out of. So sometimes those those mistakes wouldn't cost the team uh, points. Uh, this year was not his his best year. It was not his most consistent year, but um, he turned it around when it was uh, when it was important. And I think that's uh, he's going to be remembered for that save against Buxa in uh, in New England. He's going to be remembered for those two saves in Portland. Uh, and it's not only the penalty kick saves. He he also had some uh, some key moments in the game. Uh, but I, I think the interesting thing uh, that we noted uh, and talked about on our show last night was. Uh, his first save in that game actually didn't occur until the extra time periods. Uh, Portland's first shot on goal uh, or first registered shot on goal was actually the Felipe Mora goal in uh, in stoppage time. Yep, it really was. And, of course, uh, Felipe Mora uh, gave life back to Providence Park when he buried that uh, equalizer. What has Dan, this been? I, I, I mean, how mm-hmm. – Dan, I've never heard a stadium, an MLS stadium, uh, yeah. go that crazy. I think that's the one thing that really needs to be uh, shared and discussed more is the, the atmosphere, uh, you know, 2,500 NYCFC supporters. I, again, that's a blend of supporters and, and you know, guests of the, of, the, of the team. You know, we, we definitely knew we had about 2,000 NYCFC supporters out there singing in full voice. And then you had uh, – the Timbers Army on the opposite side. It was a, uh, it was an incredible uh, atmosphere. So I think that you credit to, to Portland for bringing it. Um, but that was, it, well, you were at the first uh, derby at Red at Red Bull Arena. It was it was yep. the same thing as that. Think about you know when the only difference was at that game in Red Bull Arena, there was no unity amongst the NYCFC fan base. So they couldn't sing. Oh. They couldn't do anything. And give them seven years later, and they've uh, they've got their chanting down, and they they really brought it. So uh, the atmosphere was electric. So yep. yeah, the re- the result. Uh, you know, I'm glad uh, I'm glad we won, but that Portland goal uh, was definitely an iconic moment in MLS history. No, it really, really was. And all you can really say is that this is what you want, and your hope will happen. Whether it be next year or a couple of years down the road, we we need all of our stadiums to be that strong, that loud. And, you know, just to continue on with the popularity of this game and to get better and better uh, within our country. And that's the hope that we have. I mean, you'll probably find this during World Cup qualification games or every home game um, here in the States. But still, though, MLS, we got to have it consistently like this, like what happens in Seattle, Los Angeles and, you know, other places within the country. So let's see what happens there. But, um, you know. I guess my my next question is this, because as great as seeing this team winning the first Division One soccer championship since the Cosmos back in the day, there's still an issue of a stadium. And regardless of what happens now, and it's great that they've won it, The real question is this, because as you know as well as I do, tomorrow night at 6 o'clock Eastern Time, Fox Sports, uh, Univision Deportes, TUDN, they're going to be 
showing the CONCACAF Champions League draw. And once again, CONCACAF is going to inform this club that Yankee Stadium is not a suitable stadium to play the games there. Unless they change their mind, we'll see what happens. I don't know. But you know as well as I do, there will be another trip to Red Bull Arena to be used for them as their home, their, their home matches for CONCACAF Champions League games. So when do you think this, do you think this championship has now pushed the idea forward to build something within the five boroughs? I, I'm going to say yes, but I am going to say it's going to take, it's going to take time. Uh, look, we got a new mayor coming in. I do get the sense uh, in talking to Brad Sims over the weekend uh, that the new mayor, in conversations they've already had with the new mayor, that there is uh, more support from the, from the new administration. But the new administration has to get settled in. You know, that's not going to happen until January. And then, they have, then they, once they get settled in, it's obviously not going to be their first priority. It's going to be something they probably want to work on. So you're talking about, you know, probably uh, fall before they really start to see any significant progress. But Sims, uh, you know, was interviewed plenty of times uh, during, the, during the last week. Uh, about about the situation, and he they had the ceremony at City Hall today, and Sims and De Blasio were both booed uh, about the, uh, the the any comments about the stadium, but uh, Sims feels confident that the stadium will be open uh, by 2026. And he, I think I, if, as I read the tea leaves on that comment, he means uh, you know they could start playing home games in their uh, probably May or June of 2026. Again, they want to have it. Um, Open by the time World Cup uh, rolls around uh, to to help uh, jump on that uh, that that energy, but winning the championship definitely will have an impact because already you're starting to see more energy around NYCFC, and I know it's probably what Red Bulls wanted too. If Red Bull had 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 won a, a championship as opposed to uh, two supporter shields, if it was one championship three. and one supporter shield, or three, then it would have been. <laughs> you would have seen that that energy, and you would have seen people paying attention to it a little bit more, and uh, that's what we're seeing from an NYCFC perspective. And I think that energy is going to help put some uh, some pressure on uh, on the city officials. And NYCFC has already started to cap uh, to capitalize on it using uh, the championship in, in campaigns for 2022 season tickets. So uh, there's an, inve- an increased investment in the city just from a, an aver- advertising standpoint that will get more people to pay attention. All right. Well, let's see what happens there because that's the one thing that I want them to get. I do want them to get a stadium of their own. I want them out of Yankee Stadium. I think the Yankees are well aware of that. Uh, we know Man City's well aware of it. it it's just as always politics. And let me just say this because I usually don't mix politics with sports. But thank God de Blasio's leaving. You know as well as I do, <laughs> that man has destroyed the city. I'm sorry to say it, but actually I'm not sorry to say it. This man is not, should never have been the mayor of this great city that you love, that I love, that we all love. Uh, it hurts every time I have to hear his voice talking about all these uh, crap things that he has put into motion um, I think he has destroyed the city. I don't, and I have no problem saying that on record. I think, um, thank God, and hopefully Eric Adams will reverse the majority of the crap that he's pulled. Uh, you know, only time will tell. Um, 
But yeah, it's a you know I don't know that I had a problem with him getting elected the first time. What was what was shocking was that he got reelected because um, people right. had had at least had a chance to to see see the results of some of his labor. And it, it you know it's it, it it quite honestly it I think it's it it set NYCFC back uh, four years. Yes, it did. It really really did, and that's the problem that this club is, has had. Uh, ever since it was born, uh, his mayoral ship has destroyed any chances. But hopefully with Adams coming in, you know, it will give them the, the spark and the boost uh, that they can finally start building a stadium. And I heard there's spots in Queens. They've also found other spots in the Bronx. Obviously, you've got to hope there's going to be a subway station nearby or at least something nearby to get to it because – I think if you go into Queens, depending on where they put it, uh, if there's a subway station or a Long Island Railroad station, I think it would be very good for them. Yeah, I mean, I again, a lot of people are saying Willits Point is prime, so that would probably be their first choice in, in Queens. And then uh, I, I, I still think the original site in the Bronx is their, is their primary choice. I know they say that the uh, the work there is dead, but I think that's uh, that. I think that's really politics. I think that's a situation where yeah. you 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 start to say, well, if you don't want my money here, then I'm going to take my money there. And then all of a sudden, the community boards start to say, hey, we have to make a decision. Do we want do we want to let this uh, this potential funding uh, go someplace else? Yeah, I agree with you there, Michael. Listen, Michael, thank you again for coming on, as always. I appreciate your time. Uh, out of curiosity, are you free tomorrow night at the 8 o'clock to uh, jump on for that CONCACAF Champions League draw review show at uh, tomorrow night? Uh, no, sadly, I am not, uh, I'm not available tomorrow. Oh, that's okay. Don't worry about it. I just thought <laughs> maybe we'll I'd sneak you in for one more talk no, we definitely will. We definitely will. But listen, Michael, again, have a happy holidays for you and your family. Um, and thank you again, as always, for coming on the show. Thanks, Dan. I appreciate it. No problem at all. Michael Ander, Blue City Radio uh, on New York City FC, the first time MLS Cup champions as uh, they defeat the Portland Timbers on penalties 4-2 to two after a 1-1 draw through regulation and extra time. Um, and that will officially put a close on the 2021 season of Major League Soccer. And hopefully we will uh, see what will happen next year. As always, the season will start early. The scheduling for all these clubs are almost here. Uh, Sporting Kansas City has already posted on Twitter that they're going to have their schedule out um, tomorrow. So uh, on Wednesday, December the 15th, so we will see what's going to happen there moving forward. And, um, and then we'll hopefully, if it's not just Sporting Kansas City, hopefully it'll be every other MLS club, including Charlotte, North Carolina, Charlotte FC. Um, real quick, I don't know if I've made this mention or not, but I just want to throw out my congratulations to my good friend Lloyd Sam, he is officially the television analyst of Charlotte FC, along with Eric Krakauer, uh, who uh, came over from B in Sports. So it'll be the Krakauer Sam Show uh, over in Charlotte, North Carolina. Trust me, 
all you Charlotte FC supporters. You will not be disappointed with the people calling your matches at home at the Bank of America Stadium as well as on the road. You will have a damn good team calling those games for your side in the Queen City in Charlotte, North Carolina. Uh, Escondido FC defeats Sporting ID 11 in their U.S. Open Cup qualifier, their final Open Cup qualifier. And so we have seven slots filled out of the 11. And that also means that coming up very, very soon, coming up very, very soon, this coming weekend, it will be the Southeast matches of Open Cup qualifying that will be played. Um, and it will be the Orlando FC Wolves uh, hosting the South Carolina United Heat. And the Florida Soccer Soldiers will be hosting City Soccer FC. And those two games will be on Saturday, the 18th. And on Sunday, the 19th, the remaining two Western Conference matches, which will pit San Fernando Valley FC against Capistrano FC. And then Contra Costa FC against the Metro FC on the West Coast. That will be on Sunday, the December the 19th. And then we will have all 11 slots filled for the amateur level. And we will be very, very happy to see that. And we will get to that uh, hopefully as soon as possible uh, to fill all 11 slots and then we will be ready for next season when we get to the first round draw of the Lamar Hunt U.S. Open Cup. And it should be exciting. Don't forget as well on Saturday, December the 18th on Fox Sports 1, the final match of 2021 for the U.S. men's national team. They'll be hosting Bosnia and Herzegovina uh, over at the Dignity Health Sports Complex where it is home to the Los Angeles Galaxy, as they will have that match at 8 o'clock Eastern, 5 o'clock Pacific. And then uh, it, join me later on uh, for post-match here on the Four Scenes Fire American Soccer Show uh, once that game is over and done with. And obviously, this is more about the future of the roster uh, somewhere down the road than it is more about getting ready for those World Cup qualifiers that which will be played um, end of January, beginning of February, and then finally end of March uh, to see where the U.S. will be. Um, and I will be joined tomorrow night by uh, Dwayne Rollins over in Canada in the 24th Minute Blog, Soccer Today Show with Kevin Laramie on the Sports Podcasting Network. And then, of course, my friend, uh, Honduran football writer, soccer writer, uh, Eduardo Solano. He will be joining me as well as Motagua, uh, the club actually that he supports. Uh, Motagua will be in this, uh, in this draw, and he will be joining uh, as well to talk about their opponent in the opening round of the round of 16 for next year. And, of course, hopefully uh, we can talk about the entire draw as it will be broadcasted live, Fox Sports, of course, probably on either FS1 or FS2, uh, TUDN, which is the Univision Deportes channel, uh, which will also show it 
and of course CONCACAF online or on their app uh, if you uh, go, go to their website and everything. So it should be a lot of fun. It should be exciting, and uh, everything should be going smoothly. And hopefully CONCACAF will not have a mishap in their round of 16 draw like what happened with UEFA and their Champions League draw in the round of 16. So we shall see what will happen, and hopefully there won't be a screw-up when it comes to that draw. Who would have thunk it that you would have a draw with two clubs that qualified out of their group, and they would be drawn in the round of 16, and UEFA noticed the error, and they had to make a redraw, which you never thought that they would do. Someone should be fired for that mishap because this is the UEFA Champions League and this grand international club tournament should never ever have had the biggest mess up in the history of this great tournament. But hopefully we will see what's going to happen further down the road. And it should be a lot of fun with the matchups that they have. And hopefully, we're going to get those matchups and we're going to have a lot of fun with it. So, we shall see what's going to happen. But outside of that, um, we got a couple more shows left to do. And then next weekend, next week comes along. And those will be the last shows of 2021. Uh, we will have those clubs who have qualified for the U.S. Open Cup. And then, of course, that's on Tuesday. And then next Wednesday, uh, next Tuesday will be the Open Cup qualifying show, number two. And then next Wednesday will be the last show of 2021. (coughs) So two Mondays in a row we're going to be off. Uh, But I want to make sure that uh, I can get the guests on um, and talk about important issues moving forward. So we'll see what happens then. But I want to thank my guests tonight for coming on the show. William Conwell from Rose City Review on the Portland Timbers. And I also want to thank Michael Anderer of Blue City Radio for coming on your 2021 MLS Cup champions. It is New York City FC. And tomorrow, here it is, Pot A, representing Major League Soccer in the United States. Colorado Rapids, New England Revolution, New York City FC, Seattle Sounders from Canada, Club de Foot Montreal from Liga MX, Cruz Azul, Leon, UNAM Pumas in Pot B, representing Mexico, Santos Laguna, representing Canada, their second club in this tournament, Hamilton Forge, and then Cavalry AS of Haiti, and then Motagua of Honduras from Dominican, from Costa Rica, uh, Deportivo Saprissa, and uh, Santos, Comunicaciones, and Guastatoya of Guatemala. My name is Daniel Feuerstein. Thank you very much for listening to me tonight. And as always, please enjoy your football and talk to you, everyone, tomorrow night for the CONCACAF Champions League round of 16 draw. Have a good night. Take care. So long. And bye-bye for now. <laughs>